We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Bills make me wanna. Well, from my understanding, Mario Williams will not be part of that defensive line going forward. Of course, there's some talk today about maybe he would take a pay cut. My understanding is that's really legitimately not something he's interested in and and really also had some fundamental disagreements with Rex Ryan and the Buffalo Bills staff with how he was used, how they employed all of the defensive linemen and their scheme in general, certainly a situation where both sides would appear to be uh, ready to benefit for a parting of ways. So expect Mario Williams to be a free agent as soon as uh, the team is able to do so, which would happen on March 9th, and uh, then add a premier, though slightly older, pass rusher to the mix at a point where so many teams still need help at that position. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Rock Pile Report. I'm season ticket holder Drew Gear. My friend over here, Chris Kruger's producing. And that was Ian Rappaport from NFL Network discussing Mario Williams' future with the franchise. Now, I know he talked earlier today about taking a pay cut and wanting to come back, but at the end of the day, it just smacks to me of somebody who sees the writing on the wall, on his way out, wants to look like a good teammate, so the next franchise he goes to doesn't see him as just some malcontent, and it helps his value on the open market, and I think he knows that. Well, Rex was asked about it, and what what reporter has asked that question to a coach? And the coach just said, no, don't want it back. <laughs> no, we don't want that. No. No. Never happened. I don't know. But I'll tell you what. We're going to start off here at the top of the show. We're going to give you guys an update on the LaShawn McCoy situation. Now, as I predicted, this situation is a quagmire, an absolute cluster. The DA is refusing to rush to judgment and wants to see all of the evidence laid out in front of him. And he wants some time to really pour through it before he makes a call. The mayor and president of the Philly PD Union have gone public with criticism of both McCoy and the DA. (laughs) And then yesterday we had a secret meeting that got held between both McCoy and the district attorney at some point last night. (laughs) Can you feel the tension in the air right now? The DA has stated he's going to review everything. 
Now, that includes the conduct of the officers in question. Considering who LaShawn McCoy's attorney is and his expertise in suing police, I think he's he's erring on the side of caution here with all of this. And I think it was a smart tactic by McCoy to hire the attorney that he did. What, if, you, if you'll remember, he switched attorneys to this guy for a reason. What did you say the last time we recorded our podcast? Because I believe that it, this had happened two days prior to our last podcast. And mm-hmm. I believe you said he's not going to... He's not going to get charged. I said he's not going to get charged, and the reason why is there's not enough tangible, concrete evidence to convict him of assault, which is what everyone wants. Everyone wants aggravated battery, aggravated assault. At the end of the day, you have no evidence that he actually put hands on these guys. You have no video evidence. You have no physical evidence. You don't have fingerprints. You don't have a smoking gun. So as badly as I'm sure that everyone involved besides LaShawn McCoy wants to see somebody here face the music for this, it's not an open and shut case. As much as the mayor wants to be that way, as much as the police might want retribution, we're all just going to sit back and wait and see where we end up as the week plays out. I mean, at some point, they're going to have to make a decision on this. But you can tell by the way the DA is handling it, he doesn't want to rush to judgment and make the wrong call that ends up blowing up in his own face. And now, boys and girls, the reason we're all really here. Let's get to talking about the Bills 2016-2017 football team. The season's over, we didn't make the playoffs, and now we have to look forward as far as you know what the offseason off is going to bring. Just looking at the numbers, our 2016 cap total, we're already as of today looking at $166 million on the books. We've got $4.3 million in dead money still sitting on our books, and active contracts totaling $158.4 million. It's not the greatest spot to be in for a team that can't make the playoffs. You're tied up against that. And I can understand why some people want to play chicken little and think the sky is falling because we have all these bloated contracts and we're still not making the playoffs. There's ways to get around this. I mean, first and foremost, we're going to start the first part of our offseason primer here that we're going to give you. We're going to talk about the highest value contracts the Buffalo Bills currently hold. We're going to break it all down for you. The centerpiece of this is Mario Williams. He has a cap hit this year of $19.9 million. Now, he's likely to be cut. I you know, just point to a lack of scheme fit, a lack of production, and the fact that he's almost directly undermined. You know, he's worked to undermine the scheme and the team all, all season. His lack of effort resulted in three and a half sacks. I'm not going to pay you close to $20 million a year for three and a half sacks. I just can't justify it. If we cut him, we stand to save approximately $12.9 million. Today at the Combine, Rex Ryan was asked about Mario Williams, and he had this to say. I would love to have Mario back. You know, how realistic that is, I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. You know, uh, but, yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I would, you know, I think he's a, uh, an excellent football player. And, and, sure, I'd like to have him back, but that's, you know, obviously there's a lot of contributing factors involved in, in those type of decisions, so we'll see. Right now, I know he's under contract, so, uh, you know, he's on our, on our team currently. That was from Rex's interview at NFL Network. Like I, I said, er, like I said earlier, what coach in that situation says, no, well, no, the, well, I don't, no, that, I don't want him. The thing that pisses me off about all this is that you've got Mario Williams, you've got Rex Ryan, Who's doing the coach thing? You know, he's giving you coach speak. He's telling you, hey, 
He's under contract. We'll see what happens. You know, hey, there's decisions to be made. Nothing's been made yet. So as of today, he's a Buffalo Bill. He's doing all the right things. You've got Mario Williams talking about how, oh, he's trying to do the right things by saying, hey, I'd be open to a pay cut. I'd be open to do whatever's good for the franchise. But only if they're willing to meet halfway with me on scheme. Because there's certain things that Mario just doesn't want to do. Okay. He thinks he should be able to pass rush the passer all the time. Okay, you want to pass rush. That's great. But we don't pay $20 million in the NFL for guys who can't drop into coverage or just don't want to. You're athletic enough to do it. You just don't want to do it. The play I point to most is the poster child for players who need to do this. Von Miller against New England in the playoffs. Von Miller dropped into space as a pass rusher. As being a pass rusher, he dropped back into space and picked off Tom Brady. And that led to another score for his football team because he did what the coaching staff asked him to do. Rex Ryan's not going to take any bullshit from some high-priced player, and he's going to use Mario, in my opinion, as kind of a pariah. He's going to make an example out of this guy. And listen, people who act like they don't want to be here won't be here. I think it sends a message, and I also think it saves us $13 million in our cap, which we desperately need. The next move, high-value contracts, Charles Clay. This year he carries a $13.5 million cap hit, but he can be restructured. Now, the contract we gave him was specifically built with such a high cap number this season because that's what it was going to take in order to wrangle him away from the Dolphins. The Bills took a step back and waited for the Indomitian Sioux contract to come out. And when they saw that the Dolphins planned on most of his guaranteed money coming due this season, Structured a contract with Clay to coincide with that, so that there was no way the Dolphins could fight back. How did that work out for Miami? <sighs> Not well. Not well. <laughs> now there's talk of them trying to get him in Dominican Sue to restructure his contract, which he's under no obligation to do. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But with Clay, if we were to restructure, you know, he's got a base salary of eleven point five million, but that can be reduced down to about five and a half. And the Bills. The downside to it is that the Bills would lose flexibility in future years because his cap hits would down the stretch of his career when he's in his 30s would be about $9 million per season. But it would save us $7.5 million in the here and now, which is important in a year when you're trying to sign multiple free agents who you believe are important to the core of your team. The third contract I want to talk about, Stefan Gilmore. Right now he's on his fifth-year option. He's playing at $11 million against our cap this season. <clears throat> if we were to sign him to a long-term contract, it would lower that cap hit. A long-term deal for a guy like Gilmore. He's not the best. You know, He's not Richard Sherman. He's not Darrell Revis. He's not the best cornerback in football, but he is an up-and-coming young cornerback with a lot of upside. And he played very well last year. I think a contract should, for him, long-term, if you were to sign a four- or five-year deal, you're looking at something in the ballpark of about 8 to $9 million a year. But if they were to arrange for that, it could save us anywhere from 2 to $3 million this season if they just agree to a long-term extension with the guy. And I feel like that's something that we'll see done probably by the time training camp rolls around. And then we get into an area that people don't like to argue with me about, but I feel like I'm obligated to bring it up. We could, if things get desperate, always cut Kyle Williams. 
You're a f***ing Are you out of your mind? Listen to me for a second before you all freak out. His camp hit this season is $8 million. He missed most of last season. I believe 11 games. He got hurt in the Cincinnati game. Yeah. So he missed a huge chunk of our season last year. And it sh- and, our, and we suffered because of it. He's getting up in age. And he just got an extension. <laughs> he just got this extension that put him on our cap for $8 million. I think that depending on what happens in this year's draft and how desperate we get down the stretch for cap room, he could be released and save us $5 million this season off our cap. It might be like the second coming of a Fred Jackson style cut because you know how loved Kyle Williams is. Oh, I know. The, The fan in me says, don't take away my Kyle Williams. The realist in me that says, hey, my football team needs to be able to stay competitive. You can't afford to be emotional about that stuff. And so, unfortunately, that's something that if I don't want, I I want that to be the last ditch effort. I want that to be something that happens if all other measures fail, if McKelvin won't restructure his contract, if you can't cut anybody else in order to save cap room and you know you need that money to keep our offensive line together. I think they should just get rid of McKelvin altogether. I like Roby. I like, um, I like uh, uh, Darby and Gilmore on the outside. I don't want to ever see McKelvin play the outside coverage. But we're, but we're so thin at safety. Listen, a team with depth at cornerback, every team needs that. It's it's a team. It's it's a position that every team needs to have. Depth that because when big injuries happen, you don't want to find yourself on a team with no cornerbacks. Look at what happened to the Ravens last year. They were picking up street free agents and plugging them in as starters the week they were picked up. I don't want to see the Buffalo Bills ever in that position. So if you have depth, you try to maintain it. I think we did that at linebacker last year. <laughs> AJ Tarpley. Don't even get me started. About that other guy. So. Those are the highest value contracts, and if the the moves that I've just described were made, that drops our total cap commitment for 2016 down to 141 million after those cuts. All in all, we're not in the best situation cap wise, but we're far from dead in the water. Now, taking a break from all the cap talk, let's take a look at free agency. Now, we've got a list of unrestricted free agents and restricted free agents. Unrestricted free agents, for those who don't know, I'm assuming if you're listening to this podcast, you probably do know. But just in case you know your girlfriends are in the room, maybe they want to take a listen. Unrestricted free agents, we have no control over their future. Restricted free agents, we can tender them at a certain round. And if another team signs them, we get draft compensation. Or we're committed to spending whatever that tender is worth. Our unrestricted free agents this year, Cody Glenn, Richie Incognito, Nigel Bradham, Ron Brooks, Alex Carrington, and Jordan Mills. Those are the ones of note, anyway. Our good friend Greg Trelone will be heartbroken to see Ron Brooks off our roster. (laughs) And then our restricted free agents are Corbin Bryant, Stephon Charles, Marquise Gray, Chris Hogan, Ty Powell, and Bakari Rambo. I know that everybody out there has been watching the status of Glennon Incognito as our most well-known free agents. 
I think the list I just rattled off shows there's a number of contributors. You know, guys who have played meaning you know, they played a ton of snaps for us last season that are on the block for the Buffalo Bills. Whaley's made it known that he intends to focus on keeping our own this year rather than doing any significant work on the open market. And I think it's probably in our team's best interest that he sticks to that. I mean, some of these guys have played huge roles in games. Bakari Rambo with his three turnover game in New York. You know, for as much as I bag on him, Chris Hogan. Ty Powell, who unfortunately was having the camp of his career and then got hurt before the season even started, so he couldn't contribute. Who knows what he could have been? You know, when Bradham went down with an injury, who's to say if we had had a Ty Powell to back him up, we wouldn't have been in decent shape instead of, you know, having our linebacking core go to hell the way it did. AJ Tarpley. Here's my take on each one of our separate situations. As far as unrestricted free agency goes, Cordy and Richie are priorities 1A and 1B. Both of them are solid players. We know what we're going to get from them now and in the future, I believe. And our line is finally beginning to gel. I mean, we had the number one rushing attack in football last year. Jeopardizing continuity on that offensive front would be, I think, a huge mistake. Outside of those two guys... As long as they're willing to, you know, as long as some of these other UFAs are willing to come back at the right price, I think Carrington and Mills could also be very, you know, they could be valuable players. So I honestly believe that if the Bills do decide to test the free agent waters, you know, really kind of get out there, it's likely you're not you're not going after any of these big shiny names in the first wave of free agency. It's likely going to be for cheap options available in the post draft slash. Pre-camp wave of free agents. Come on, sweetie. Don't be a bitch. Let's talk some numbers here. Some names I'd be interested in kicking the tires on are as follows. Mohamed Sanyu, wide receiver out of Cincinnati. I mean, the guy, he's buried on a depth chart there. When he had to fill in, he was decent. And I think he's definitely more talented than Chris Hogan, Marquise Goodman, or any of the guys who have played third, you know, second slash second wide receiver for us in the last couple of years. He's buried on a depth chart behind Tyler Eifert, A.J. Green, and Marvin Jones. So he never really got to play. I think he could be a guy who won't command a huge salary, but at the same time, he might be worth a look. Zach Brown, linebacker out of Tennessee, same story. Guy was drafted in the third. He he was supposed to be something, and he hasn't really matured to that point, but who knows if a scheme change couldn't do him some good. Even as just a camp body depth option, he'd be good to have around because he's established in the league. And this Riley Cooper. White people rule! <laughs> Something tells me that there's too many African-American players on our team for Riley Cooper to come here and actually, you know, gel with the team. I'm kidding. In reality, Riley Cooper is a decent athlete who got released from Philly after a down season. And I don't know how much baggage he would bring. But I do think that he might be a guy who, you know, after everyone's passed, ever after free agency starts to get thin, he might be a guy who's worth kicking the tires on at the right price. Nick Toon, another player, wide receiver. He was drafted. Everyone thought he might develop into a nice second, third option in, in New Orleans. One of the most passing-friendly offenses. He just couldn't find a role. Who's to say he couldn't go to a team that takes advantage of his ability to block a little bit better? And maybe he becomes another Robert Woods for us. Who knows? And then I, Atiba Rubin, I believe is how you pronounce his name. He's a defensive tackle out of Cleveland. He seemed sort of productive. You know, 
I mean, he's a body. He's a depth guy. He's not going to be your starter, but at the same time, I would definitely take him if the price is right. I never heard of half of these guys. Well, that's because you go to little kids' birthdays and don't watch football on Sundays. Don't worry. I'm getting divorced. We'll be able to hang out more often. (laughs) No more birthdays for you, sucker. Oh, it's party time. (sighs) Now on to the restricted free agents. While some of these players can be upgraded, I think Corbin Bryant and Bakari Rambo were large contributors to our defense last year. And in my opinion, we should make a concerted effort to keep them. Again, continuity. Bryant played well. We, we don't win that New York Jets game without Bakari Rambo. There's a couple games where he showed up big. And then there's some games where he got exposed because, no, he's not... He's not an elite, strong safety in this league. He's not going to be. That's not his role. But as a bit player and as a depth option, he's invaluable. And I would love to have a guy like that on our roster going forward. As I said before, Ty Paul was having a fantastic camp, and he should get a shot to show that he can stick with the roster and contribute after this injury. I want to see them at least tender him and give him another look. I think that Chris Hogan should only be retained if we cannot find a suitable replacement in free agency or in the draft. We've seen his ceiling. I get it. He was a big story coming out of Miami after the hard knocks thing. They were all calling him 7-Eleven, and he had some games, you know, some late-game heroics, that game against the Vikings, where he goes up for that ball and just comes down with it at the two-yard line, I yeah. think it was. At the end of the day, Chris Hogan has suspect hands. His route running is average. His speed is average. He's He is the epitome of average white guy in the NFL. And so I think that if we can do better than him, we should. And he should only be retained in the event that we literally cannot find anyone else. I mean, think about that drop during the Chiefs game. That will haunt me forever when I think about Chris Hogan. For all the nice things you've done for me, I've got a drop during a Miami game that we could have used. I've got a drop during that Chiefs game. Didn't he have like a didn't he have a catch? Oh he had a catch that didn't turned he? into a fumble. Yeah. But then at the well, same I time it was like catch down by contact or it was incomplete, but it Rex didn't challenge. It's it's a mess. At the end of the day the guy needs to handle it. At the, the ball. end of the day we missed the playoffs because <laughs> of Chris Hogan. I did whoa, 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 whoa. Back the train up there. I'm not blaming Chris Hogan. I'm just saying I think we can do better. So we're going to move on now. State of the roster. At the end of the day, where are we as a team? Okay, we've talked about contracts and what's weighing us down and what we can do to get out from underneath it. We've talked about the guys who maybe need to be upgraded and maybe need to be brought back. How is our roster? Our roster as a whole, I think our areas of strength are to start cornerback. You're over here talking about let's cut Leotis McKelvin. No. Because that's one of our areas of strength. We have Gilmore. We've got Darby. We've got Roby. We've got McKelvin. So right there, we have a leg up on, I'd say, almost our entire division in the fact that we have more actual cornerbacks than any of them. You would have to think, by now, there are some fans of the Bills that are growing tired of Leotis McKelvin, and they would like someone else 
to draw male genitalia on their lawn. Okay. Do you know who doesn't give a damn at the end of the day what the fans think? Leotis McKelvin, because he makes a lot of money. Leotis McKelvin? He has gold teeth. And Doug Whaley. He does. But at the same time, we have four decent cornerbacks rounding out the top of our cornerback. We have Mario Butler as a fourth-slash-fifth guy. That's huge for us. Our cornerback depth, even though the numbers won't reflect it, I was surprised by the play of our secondary last year, especially given the struggles of our defense to put any kind of a pass rush together. Well, nobody thought Darby's coming in to do what he did. No, no one did, but guess what? He, he stepped up, and so now our cornerback depth, we have... How many cornerbacks do the Miami Dolphins currently have? They have Brent Grimes. And who else? The fact that you can't immediately answer me on that tells me everything I need to know. Well, I don't I don't pay <laughs> attention to the Dolph call Bob. They don't have Bob anybody. That's my point. They don't have anybody. The Jets just had to cut Cromarty because he fell off the face of the earth last year. Something that I'm absolutely gonna rag on our friend Kyle Smith for later. So the Jets maybe have two, and then they have question marks. They have two good corners and then question marks. The Patriots have a great scheme as a whole, so I'm not going to hold them responsible, but I'd say they have maybe one or two good cornerbacks. We have four adequate cornerbacks rounding at the top of our depth chart. Don't ruin that. Also, area of strength, and I know you're gonna, you're probably going to yell at me for this, Tyrod Taylor put together... <laughs> Put together a solid first season, proving that Rex's, Rex's faith in both his arms and his legs as weapons wasn't misplaced. Think about it. He talked about him all offseason, and everyone's like, okay, yeah, Tyrod Taylor. Let's bring in one more. Cor-. And he set records for not turning the ball over, and our offense scored points, and we were exciting to watch. He had a offense. surprisingly good stat line this year for a Bills quarterback. The, one of the themes I broke down last season was that he failed to establish, you know, the, a usage of a consistent usage of the middle of the field in the passing game. Now, that's generally where most of your yak comes from, yards after the catch. I think that if there's anywhere he needs to improve, it's that. I think between him and Greg Roman, they need to get together, and maybe it was by design. Maybe they didn't have him throwing over the middle of the field because that is where the majority of your interceptions come from is when you throw down the middle of the field. You've got safeties. You've got linebackers. Those guys have hands. They get paid to take the ball away. So they kept most of their passes to the outside just to get him acclimated to playing quarterback at the NFL level. This season we're going to need to see if he can start to utilize that middle of the field. You know, get Sammy Sammy on crosses over the middle and put the ball where he can catch it. You saw that circus catch he had during that Detroit Lions game. Yep, his rookie year. He has from Kyle Orton. So if we can just start getting our receivers in, you know, on slant routes and stuff over the middle, I think it can really open this offense up. But I think that we're in good shape right now as quarterback goes. I think as far as backup quarterback goes, we could look to upgrade. But for the most part, I like where we are with our starter for the first time in a decade. Why not look at the draft for a quarterback? Well, we're going right. to talk about that in a little bit. And then we've got our areas of need. Now, these are my perceived needs just from watching all of our football games last year. Our, one of our biggest areas of need is defensive end and defensive tackle. 
Then you're all going to say I'm crazy because that's where most of our defensive payroll gets allocated. But we failed to generate pass rush for huge chunks of the season. Three and a half sacks for Mario. You can't spend $20 million on three and a half sacks. It's just not a good return on your investment. Especially when they don't want to participate in your defense. You can tell me that some of it's scheme related, but we're going to have a need for a 3-4 DE slash outside linebacker that can both set an edge in the running game and also rush the passer. And we're also going to need a legitimate nose tackle if we're going to run this Rex Ryan defense properly. Is Marcel Darius not a legitimate anything on the defensive line? No, I believe he is, but what I think is that he his play would benefit from somebody who can truly be your zero technique nose tackle. Somebody who can line up directly over center and occupy multiple blockers, freeing up Marcel Darius to do what he does, which is penetrate. You know, that's he needs that. And I think if you see us reestablish that it's going to do wonders for this defense. Another area of need is linebacker. Now, I've been ragging on that for the last year. Since, since we started doing this podcast, I've been railing on the state of our linebacking core. Even without considering that Bradham could leave in free agency, with him here, our linebacking core was an area of weakness. Considering how much free agent linebackers tend to cost and I, what I believe to be mediocre options available on the free agent market... I would expect to see that this is a position we're going to try to address during the draft. I wouldn't be shocked if we if a if a decent linebacker falls us in the first round. I wouldn't be shocked to see them take him. I wouldn't. I mean, you're talking about who's out there on the free agent market? Rolando McLean, James Laurinaitis, James Laurinaitis for his for the That's name the recognition. Guy I text you about when you I heard he got when I heard he got cut. I immediately grabbed my phone and text you. Is this somebody we go after because I want Road Warrior Buffalo Bill Spikes? And not to be a wet blanket, but I immediately shed all over that idea. Reason being, he was rated as one of the worst linebackers in football last year against the run. With Is a, that because of scheme? With a dominant defensive line like the Rams have, you mean to tell me it was scheme? No. I just don't think he's as good as he's getting paid to be. So... He may want to go play, and I'm sure some team will sign him, but I just don't see paying a guy like that what he's going to get on the open market. And the final area of need I want to talk about is free safety and strong safety. Now, our lack of depth there got exposed last season as well, even though it wasn't as glaring as the linebacker situation. The pass coverage skills of Graham, Rambo, and Williams you know, were tested I mean, teams just knew that they could pick on us there after Aaron Williams went down in week two. I think that upgrading that position is another, you know, it's a position that you don't think of right out of the gate when you think about what the Buffalo Bills need going into 2016, 2017. But I think it's huge. I think that's something in a passing league, knowing who you're going to be playing next year and teams with deep passing games, you're going to need safeties. You have to. You, you have to get better at that position. I can't watch Bakari Rambo get burned deep anymore. He's a great in-the-box safety, but you can't ask him to cover guys on the right-hand side of the field deep on passes. He's not going to win jump balls. He's, not, he's just not that kind of a player. And last year, after we lost Aaron Williams, we didn't have anybody who could do that, seemingly. It, it was terrible. I mean, what do you think? I am... 
I'm not into this as much as you are. I, I like Rambo. He like acts like a safety linebacker. Okay, but so you don't want him being your starting strong safety? No, I otherwise, don't. Otherwise, we're playing single high safety all game. You know what happens? He's a good depth guy. Yeah, but so ask what ask the Dolphins what happens when you go single high safety all the time. Do you remember that game? We're we're which <laughs> Tyrod we're Tyrod Taylor and Sammy Watkins just torched them for deep touchdowns. Yep, again and again. It's. It's not a coincidence. They, I watched that game from the end zone. I wasn't sitting in my usual seats, and I got to watch them line up, single high safety, and Sammy Watkins just running away from everybody. You're going to get torched if you play too much single high safety, and we can't trust that. So we have to go out and find somebody else who can play back there with Aaron Williams. We have to. That's, that's just the way the cookie crumbles. All right, folks, and, he, and here to discuss the the rest of the AFC East, because, you know, we're going to have to worry about these guys all season as far as their off-season outlook. We've got Kyle Smith from the AFC East Bros podcast with us. How you doing, Kyle? Doing fantastic, Drew. How you doing this evening? <laughs> Not too bad. Had a Chardonnay or three. Feeling all right. So why don't you start off with the New York Jets? You know, they're your team. What are what do you think the Jets' biggest positions of need are this offseason? So when you look at the New York Jets, um, the outside fan might not realize the problems with the Jets' offensive line. Um, people, uh, superficial fans, fans that might under, not understand the game as well, they'll look and say, oh, well, the Jets, they must have had a pretty decent offensive line, right? They were towards the league uh, in terms of uh, – you know, not giving up that, all that many sacks. But when you look at that, I think those uh, few sacks given up says more about Ryan Fitzpatrick and his play, being that he gets the ball out so quick, kind of like Tom Brady in that regard. But you want to talk about how, and I know you know this, Drew, Chris Ivory really slowed down in terms of fantasy production in the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. He wasn't able to run the ball a lot. And now part of that was on him. He kind of slowed down a little bit because of his violent running style. But also... Let's just be quite honest. He was getting, you know, just demolished by guys meeting him right in the middle of the hole. Mm -hmm. Guys are stacking the box, but the Jets' offensive line was not getting the job done. You're looking at Breno Giacomini, a guy who the Jets acquired a couple years ago from the Super Bowl champion Seattle Seahawks, playing right tackle. I think he's got to be one of the worst right tackles in the league. Um, He's good for about a penalty every single game, and – he gives you nothing in pass protection, and he's not a great run blocker either. He's got a, a nice little hefty contract there at right tackle. So you're looking at a potential cap casualty in him. Definitely the Jets have to want to upgrade the right tackle position. Then you got the right guard position. You know, you started off the season with Willie Colon. He's another penalty machine. Uh, this guy gets so many penalties to the point that he manages to get a penalty in a game that he's not even suited up in. <laughs> When we play <laughs> the New York Giants December 6th, mm-hmm. he's on the sideline in street clothes, but manages to run his mouth, and I don't know if he gets into it, pushes, whatever he did with one of the Giants players on the sideline, but manages to get a 15-yard personal foul <laughs> penalty. It's like, you you got to be kidding That's me. That's inexcusable. In- inexcusable. 
Uh, and then Brian Winters steps in, and Brian Winters, from all indications, as a third-round draft pick, has kind of been a little bit of a uh, disappointment thus far. Some would even say a bust. I don't know that we can completely go there yet, but he's been a disappointment. Then you look at center, Nick Mangold. And Nick Mangold had a tremendous year in the 2014 season, but took a little bit of a dip this past season. He was also injured for part of this past season. And, you know, we as Jets fans, we have to be honest that, you know, Nick Mangold, he's not going to be able to play forever. Um, You look at Carpenter, uh, the left guard. He was the one bright spot for our team. Uh, You, Drew, being an Alabama guy, I'm sure you know Mm -hmm. a lot about him. Oh, yeah. Carpenter was good. He, he was good this during, past this, year. During those runs we had, he was he was a big part of that. Absolutely. And, you know, people would say that he was a bust being a for, uh, first-round draft pick. He had actually missed a lot of time in his NFL career. And I, I had said this several times on my show. It was kind of like that, that bright spot you weren't expecting. Not only did he make all 16 games this year, but I don't even remember him coming out at a certain point. Like, oh, he's going off to the sideline. He's limping a little bit. I don't remember right, any You're of expecting that. it at this point in his career. You're expecting that at some point he's going to get injured. Yeah. And when he doesn't, you're ecstatic. You're like, oh, you're wow, ecstatic. there's the you're guy. That we, that's, the, that's why we picked you. Absolutely. So that was a nice bright signing by McCagnan last year. But then we go over to left tackle, and you had spoken about this. You'd come with you know your your questions blazing when you called into our show last time. Debrickishaw Ferguson, <laughs> yeah. big cap hit about fourteen million dollars. You know that he's not going to get that type of deal. And they were questioning McCagnan today at the combine. You know, are you looking at restructure? Are you thinking about moving some numbers around with a Debrickishaw Ferguson? To which he said, well, we don't want to reveal our strategy. You know, it, this is all a numbers game. We don't want to play our cards, so to speak. That, to me, basically says, well, I'm not going to tell you straight up yes, but we're definitely considering it. You cannot pay DeBrickishaw Ferguson top left tackle money. He's just not that anymore. So the, the Jets, in terms of offensive line, is definitely something that they need to improve. Because, yes, they um, they didn't give up many sacks last year, but they were t- in, you know, not the very top in the league, but they were near the top of the league in terms of pressures that they allowed last year. And when Fitzpatrick is under pressure, we see how he can crumble. And he was under a lot of pressure when we played you guys week 17, <laughs> game that you were at, to which he tossed three late picks in the fourth quarter. I was waiting to say it. I, I couldn't help myself. I was going to say nobody knows better than me how your line just fell apart under pressure without half of our starters playing. On defense, they came at you guys in waves, and your your, I would say Giacomini got worked in that game. That's where a lot of the pressure came from. Was Giacomini just not being able to hold down his position? He got beat with speed. He got beat with power. At one point, I I remember one of the hits on him late in that fourth quarter. He just fell down. He just he tried to get his feet set and just fell down, and the guy blew past him. He's just like a big doofus out there. <laughs> he's he's a guy who, you know, at first when you guys got him, I was kind of like, ah, God, I wish, you know, he's a guy who maybe he could help us upgrade our right. I'm glad we didn't make that move. Now, one of the things that I find funny is that all the draft pundits, everything I see has the Jets drafting a linebacker. Hmm. All of the mock drafts I've seen have you guys drafting either Reggie Ragland out of Alabama, you know, basically whichever top end line, you know, Darren Lee, whoever falls to you guys. So I think it's 
I think it's good to hear from the fan perspective to see people who watch the team week in and week out say, hey, if we have a chance to land a legitimate tackle, that's probably a good starting point to rebuilding our, you know. I mean, would you be able to, would you get behind a first-round draft pick a tackle? I think I'd be okay with it, depending what else is on the board. In fact, I called into another Jets podcast after I got off my show last night called Let's Talk Jets. And they had asked the same question to me, like, Kyle, would you support, you know, selecting a cornerback at 20? To which I said, you know, without having really watched a tremendous amount of these guys yet, I would endorse the corner selection. And I gave my reasons. I said, you know... Just look at the Denver Broncos, for example. They had Tlaib, they had Harris, two guys who were tops at their position, but that didn't stop them from selecting Roby, but Roby was an essential part down the stretch for them. You can never have too many corners, especially when you look at the Jets. They just released Cromartie. You got a Dexter McDougal. He's always injured. Your boy, D. Milliner from Alabama, ninth <laughs> overall draft pick. The guy's always injured, and he had these problems coming out of college. He had like eight, nine surgeries coming out of college, something insane. He can't stay healthy. Um, you know, Marcus Williams, nice little young young player, only played quarter of the snaps last year, six interceptions. You like the upside with him. But even he missed time last year. And as you guys saw, Darrell Rebus, he's not a spring chicken anymore. You don't even know if you'll have him two, three years from now. Mm-hmm. So I would all be for selecting a corner if one were to drop, which I don't think they will. So it kind of depends who is on the board. You know, a lot of Jets fans are kind of getting behind Taylor Decker out of Ohio State. Um, you kind of like his intensity that he brings. Uh, I'm not so sure I'm in love with his, his pass blocking as of yet, but it's hard for me to say that if, if a Ronnie Stanley, for example, I mean, it's, it's almost a foregone conclusion that Tunsil, there's no way he's going to drop to 20. And I don't think Stanley would drop to 20 either but you know if a Taylor Decker drops to 20 would it be worth it I think I I don't know that I could be upset with that as a Jets fan but I'd also it also depends on who's on the board well and in fact that's in my uh, combine preview I talk about Taylor Decker and I talk about the fact that he may be there in that you know somewhere in that 17 to 32 range he's going to be there so if that's a if that's a direction your team's looking to take they could probably go that route, and it may not be a mistake to go that way. As far as D. Milner, that guy's been under the knife more times than a Christmas ham. He, I was, I liked him, I did, but then after seeing what he's become, I just it's, and at the same time, I wonder if it's not just scheme because think about Drake Kirkpatrick. He's finally started to produce at the NFL level. In a limited capacity for the for the Bengals, but he's never owned up to his first round draft pick status. Yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of these Alabama corners lately have kind of failed at the NFL level. Even like think about Kareem Jackson; he went twentieth overall to Houston a couple of years back when mm-hmm. we played Houston this year. He was on the shelf for that game. I think he ended up suiting up against you guys when you guys played him. But and then Kareem Jackson, he got a nice, decent contract this off season, but. You know, early on, they were saying, oh, boss central with him, you know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he's, he's finally started <clears throat> to show some bright spots. But, it, you know, has he been that 20th overall, you know, selection? Has he been worth that? And eh, you can't really say that. So, no, and this draft has me worried about cornerback depth. It really does because I don't see a whole lot of value there. I see value in the second to third round, but not so much in the first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. I Honestly, I cannot say that I've watched a lot of the first two guys yet, being Alexander and Hargreaves. But uh, 
Alexander's that your guy, Ronald Darby, got, and that's it. Oh, he doesn't catch interceptions. You know, everyone's saying Mackenzie Alexander. You know, he doesn't have a college interception to his to his name. And I, did Darby have an interception last year no. in college? Oh no, no, college, he had no interceptions his senior year, and everyone's like, oh, he has no ball skills. Week one, Andrew Luck tried to take him deep, and he picked it off. And after that, teams were like, oh, okay, <laughs> all right, we'll stop picking on the rookie for a little while. Yeah, so I don't know if it's going to be the same deal with Alexander, but. And, I mean, one thing that and Gary and I have always said on our show is teams didn't throw at Darby in college, though. And, you know, maybe that was part of the reason why he didn't have as much interceptions is because teams just weren't testing him. Could it be the same thing with Alexander? Again, I haven't watched enough of him, but I know that someone I have a, a tremendous amount of respect for named Connor Rogers. He's got Mackenzie Alexander in his top five overall on his big board. So... Now, let me ask you this. I know it's the unpopular thing to talk about, <clears throat> but I know you cover the entire AFC East, and I know that me, I'm, I'm in no way, shape, or form capable of being unbiased. How do the Patriots look this offseason? They definitely have their work cut out for them. Um, they're not going to be big spenders. No team in the AFC East. The AFC East was the biggest spenders in the league last year in terms of uh, a, a total division spending. You know, mm-hmm. the Dolphins were big. They made the big splash going out and getting Sue. The Bills, you get well, Charles the Clay, you Percy Harvin. The funny, thing about the, the funny thing about the Dolphins spending all that money on Sue is that it directly cost them Charles Clay. And they thought they could replace him with Cameron, and that didn't bear any kind of fruit for them. No, not at all. And Cameron's going to be a goner too, but that's a different story. Obviously, the Jets signing Revis, Gilchrist, Carpenter, all these guys, they're not going to be able to spend like that this offseason. And the Patriots, they made a quality signing in getting a Jabal Sheard. You know, nice mm-hmm. little you know, stopgap guys like, you know, Deion Lewis. What a nice <clears throat> pickup he was. Oh. But um, so the, what we're looking at with the Patriots right now is can you get a deal done with these guys that you, your, your own homegrown talent that you want to keep by? And that's. We're looking at Chandler Jones. Do you extend him? You know He's going to be a free agent set to be next year. Do you extend Dante Hightower, Alabama guy? Do you extend Jamie Collins, right? You know, one of the nice, young, talented linebackers, mm-hmm. up-and-coming, pro bowler at that. And Malcolm Butler, you know, he's set to be a free agent relatively <clears throat> soon. And, you know, he's a guy who hasn't made a good amount of money yet. He's an undrafted you know, free agent, so he doesn't have this big-time money that a Hightower and um, uh, Chandler Jones have gotten, being that they're first-round picks. So maybe if you offer him a contract now, you can save um, some money in terms of overall money that you're giving him, being that you're giving him a deal early. It's just something to think about. So the Patriots, pretty much all the teams in the AFCs, they got their work cut out from, and they're trying to re-sign their own. You guys have the same issue. You're trying to re-sign Cody Glenn. You're trying to re-sign Richie Incognito. Uh, you're at least have Tyrod Taylor in at least in your thoughts for the future. What type of deal can we get done with him? So mm-hmm. the Patriots they got to add a, a, another wide receiver. They probably should add some type of running back too. They just couldn't run the ball. Nope. You know, last season, last There's year, nothing to speak of. Yeah, last year their running game was non-existent. It was all on Tom Brady. The all whole season Brady. was on Tom Brady. That's why we almost beat them on that Monday Night Football game. 
because they put they had no choice but to put the ball in the hands of Tom Brady every single play. Yeah. You can't you won't win championships doing that. No, not at all. And you could argue that their abil- inability to run the football potentially cost them a championship game. Look at, just look at it like this. If they beat Miami in week 17, which kind of looks like a meaningless game, mm-hmm. if they beat Miami, they get the one seed in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Denver goes to them rather than them going to Denver. And we all know that New England has a terrible record out in Denver. I think Brady might be like 2-7 and seven all time in his career out mm-hmm. in Denver. So... <clears throat> Beating Miami is the difference between going to Denver or being at home in Foxborough where they're so good at late in the, in the season. It's a big difference right there. But if you look at that Miami game, I don't know what was up with the, the play calling that they did. It's just I just cannot understand it to this day. And I don't know that anyone in New England can. But they passed the ball, I think, twice, all in the first half of that game. They tried to run the ball. They wanted to protect Brady. But they couldn't get anything done running the ball. And let's be honest, Miami never had a good run defense last year. No. So. But I think that was the point. Was They were like, oh, well, Miami can't defend the run, so let's really try to – Protect Tom. Tom's taken a crap load of hits for the last month. Let's try to protect him a little bit and run the football, keep him fresh for the playoffs. Well, that that didn't come to fruition because they tried to run, tried to run, tried to run, and failed. So then in the second half, they had no choice but to try to throw. Yeah, and, and then Brady's getting pummeled late in that yep. game. And, and take it, credit to him. I don't know if you were seeing these memes going about. I had actually retweeted something about this, but there was one where in that Miami game, week 17, Brady, he's getting you know held by one of the Miami defenders, and there's a ball on the ground after he fumbled, and he's reaching out with one arm to scoop in this fumble, whereas Cam Newton in the Super Bowl, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know how he kind of flaked out, didn't want to go for that ball in, in the pile mm-hmm. where he's the big old quarterback and it's the Super Bowl. So, um, you know, no. you know, Patriots fans were thrown out there saying, hey, listen, Brady's really got heart, whereas Cam doesn't type thing. There's quite a bit of talk now um, whether or not they should trade Chandler Jones because when we look at the types of contracts that um, pass rushers are getting, we all know Von Miller is going to get paid. You know, that we're looking at that Justin Houston contract from last mm-hmm. year. Yeah, he's going to by far exceed that. Um, so, obviously, Chandler Jones isn't going to get anything like that, but... You know, he knows, hey, listen, I made the Pro Bowl. I notched up 12-plus sacks. I, I was a, I'm was, i a Super Bowl champion, first-round pick. I got the talent. He's going to want big-time money. Yeah. Um, and some people out in Patriot Land are saying, well, is he as valuable as a Hightower? Is he as val- valuable as a Collins? You know, we can't afford everyone. It's the same situation should- the Bills are running into with um, Mario Williams, except because of his camp hit, we can't trade him. So we're going to have to cut Mario. Yeah. The Patriots have to make a similar decision with Chandler Jones. Is he worth two or three other players on your roster? Yeah, not like that. But you also have to look at it from this aspect with the Patriots. They don't have a first-round draft pick this year. No, they so- don't. Could you get a first rounder for Chandler Jones? I think that would be a stretch, but maybe a second rounder. You can, you know, reacquire some draft capital, some much needed draft capital. Especially to a team like the Browns that are just looking for something. They're looking for I think of teams that are really looking for some something. Titans, the Browns, the Cowboys. If you could trade Chandler Jones for a high second round draft pick. Would you, Kyle, you know, Kyle Smith as the GM of the New England Patriots, would you do that? 
I would highly have to consider, especially this year when I don't have much talent. You know, do I want to give Chandler Jones a hundred million dollar contract? Because that's what it could be. Remember the Mario Williams contract, hundred million dollars. What was it? Forty six million dollars guaranteed. Fifty million dollars guaranteed. Whatever it was, we're talking. That's five years ago or so now. You know, we're talking about the salary cap jumping up an extra $15 million this year. It's not unquestionable to think that Chandler Jones could potentially get that. And if you're mm-hmm. the Patriots, you don't ever play payers. You don't ever pay players like no. that. So no. if I can notch myself a high second-round draft pick, I might do it. And, you know, the Patriots, have, they've done this many times in the past. They traded out Richard Seymour, who's they probably going to go to They got rid of Seymour. They got rid of, they got rid of anybody. The thing that I... I'm a very ruthless guy. I'm cold-hearted when it comes to things that make sense. I love the. I hate the Patriots. I hate them because they ruin my season. But I love them, and they're just they're very cold and they're very calculated. They don't make excuses for the moves they make. They get rid of guys, regardless of whether fans like them, whether people on the team like them. The fact is, when your road is run out and they think that you've peaked, you're gone. For as much as they think they can get you, get for you. Yeah, that's it. And thing you have to respect about them too is they always have, you know, they'll always have a, a couple top elite guys, your Gronkowski, your Brady, but even their lower end guys on the roster, they're usually quality players. And you have to kind of attribute that to the fact that, well, maybe the Patriots, the Patriots are never drafting high. You know, they're always no, drafting they're in, the, always in the late twenties. So they've done a great scouting job. Great scouting job, and part of it is also they trade back and they acquire more picks. Bill Belichick loves to get more picks, so because they I'm can swing and miss, they can swing and miss more times than our teams can, and it yeah, doesn't and matter because they have more cracks at it. And that's the way that a lot of people like to think of the draft. If it's kind of like a crapshoot, mm-hmm. you know, it's so hard to determine who's going to be good and who's not. So if you take more throws at that dart, that dartboard, eventually you can come away with someone. So, um, you know, it's. The Patriots, do you, in a season where you don't have a first-round draft pick, but you can maybe notch yourself a high two, maybe that's something you want to do, especially when you don't have to pay that guy, too. So it's just something to think about for them. All indications I'm hearing is they want to keep around a high tower in college more so than they want to keep around Jones. So, Absolutely. Now, I'm going to run down the Dolphins, and I want to see what you think about all this. Okay. Dolphins, positions in need, linebacker. They have possibly the shallowest talent pool in the entire division at linebacker. Kelvin Shepard, our former third-round draft pick, who we traded for Jerry Hughes straight up, was a starter for them. He's on his third team now. Then you look at the offensive line. Brandon Elbert, never healthy. Jason Fox is a mess. Shelly Smith is a free agent. I don't know. I would I would trade you three Subway sandwiches and a... And a football, but not a Nike football, like a Franklin football for Shelly Smith. <laughs> and their tight ends can't run block to save their lives. No. I mean their line and their run blocking tight ends, they have no they have no talent there. You forgot to mention Dallas Thomas, too, who was voted the, the least <laughs> valuable player in the league by Pro Football Focus. Dallas Thomas. I remember how pumped Dolphins fans were at the beginning of the season because they were like, oh, 
a buddy of mine. He's a huge Finns fan. He's like, well, Dallas Thomas is gonna he's gonna slide in and he's gonna be good and everything's gonna be fine. Hilarious. It's how did they ever think that that guy was gonna be a talent in the NFL? I don't know. He's I mean, slow. Yeah, but- he's got bad hands. He's got no explosion to his game. You played offensive line. You understand. Yeah, and he's a softy, too. I, I, I don't know. I mean, some people are saying, like, well, he's a, he's a better guard than he is than he is a tackle, and we just need to keep him in one spot, and he can at least be serviceable. No, he's not going to be serviceable. He sucks. He's a better he's water boy than he is a football player. I will admit he was much worse at tackle, but he's just an awful guard, too. If you, <laughs> I don't know if you watched any of the – from the not this past season, but the season before, the Ravens went down to Miami. Elvis Dumerville rushed against um, Dallas Thomas, who was playing right tackle in that game. Just absolutely destroyed him for like four sacks that game, and, and could have had several more. It was just bad. No, I didn't see that, but I wish I had. Hey, listen. If you have NFL Game Pass, go back and watch it. You'll get <clears> some good laugh. For oh, sure. absolutely. I'm going to go check that out later tonight. It, Speaking of, have you seen this? You probably have at least saw this run in a highlight. You were talking about linebackers for the mm-hmm. Miami Dolphins. Chris Ivory is a free agent for the Jets, mm-hmm. and there's some rumors maybe the Patriots will be interested in him. They could use a running back. Um, Chris Ivory, love his game. I, I've been saying for quite some time now the Jets shouldn't re-sign him. They should go and re-sign Bilal Powell instead. You're mm-hmm. not going to be able to keep both those guys. Mm-hmm. If you watch the Chris Ivory run against the Miami Dolphins, now this is at a point in time where Chris Ivory, he had slowed down at this point of the season. He was not breaking off runs. But he, break, he broke off like a 30-, 35-yarder late in the, a game against Miami where I don't know. He must have broke seven tackles or so. It's just horrible tackling by Miami, led by your boy, Kelvin Shepard. Not shocking. Not shocking in the least. I'm going to have to send you the clip of that play because it is just, you know, it's an impressive run by Ivory, but I think it just says more about the Dolphins tackling. So, yeah, they need to upgrade there. I I seriously think they're going to look to pick eight and hope and pray that they can get a linebacker. You know, Raglan's an option there. Jalen Smith's an well, option there. I think Miles they're going to look. I, I've seen it mocked that they're going to take the best linebacker on the board. Whoever the best linebacker they can get their hands on, and they would do well to do that, unless somebody like you know Ronnie Stanley stand Ronnie Stanley falls to them. In which case, you'd have to scoop him up. Yeah, and it's it's definitely possible that he could fall. Um, he could. I mean, so, it depends on Joey Bosa and a couple other the DNs and D tackles that people think highly of. But yeah, and I mean, they also drafted 19th overall a couple of years ago, Jawan James, uh, another tackle out of the University of what, Tennessee, and he's kind of been a little bit of a disappointment. Kind of started mm-hmm. off decently strong as a rookie, but had a disappointment uh, of a second season. So, yeah, and then you think about what they're losing in free agency. Lamar Miller, okay, he wants to be a feature back. And he fought with the coaching staff. I mean, he ruined my fantasy football season. If it wasn't for a late-season trade for Todd Gurley, my, I would not have made the Super Bowl in my fantasy league. Because Lamar Miller was my workhorse at the beginning, and then down the stretch, they just stopped using him. He wants to go to a team that sees him as a feature back, but I don't think he's that guy either. So I don't know where he's going to end up. Yeah, and the way you, you look at running backs in the NFL nowadays, who is really a feature back? I mean, you you mentioned Todd Gurley. He is that. Adrian Peterson is that. Jamal Charles is that. 
I don't think too many teams have those types of guys. I do think you guys have one in a LaShawn McCoy. But most of these teams, they're running two and three back sets. Um, mm-hmm. Lamar Miller is a nice player. I would take him on my team, but I don't want to take him for the contract that he's going to be getting. As you said, he wants to get paid, and he is going to get paid. Drew Rosenhaus is his agent. Let's not make no mistake about it. Lamar Miller, he was a fourth-round pick coming out. It's not like he signed some big contract coming out of the gate. He's going to get paid. He wants to go to a team that's going to respect him, that's going to give him many touches. And if a team is going to give him 20-plus touches a game, you best believe that they're going to pay him that way. I, I've gotten into it with Gary, and you know maybe I was a little you know bellicose and I don't know maybe too high up on my projection. I said Lamar Miller could potentially get seven million dollars annually, and I don't know that he'll get that much. I definitely think he can get around six million dollars annually. Gary thinks he's going to get a, a Ryan Matthews type contract, which there's no way that he's going to get a Ryan Matthews type contract. See, I don't think. See, I think that with the way the running back market's been devaluated, he has no choice. He can hold out for more. But the longer he holds out, the less money teams have to spend. I think yeah. he'd do well to sign a Ryan, Ryan Matthews-type contract and then just maybe have Drew Rosenhaus work in some bonuses. Like, hey, if he scores 10 touchdowns, then he gets X number of dollars tacked on to the value of his con- You know, A lot of that doesn't have to be guaranteed salary, but I think that he's going to shoot for more money, but he's going to have to be realistic about what the running back market is. Yeah, and I mean, DeMarco Murray, you're talking about a potential MVP candidate type of season last year. He was, he was out for a long time on the open market. He thought he was going to get much more than he ended up getting. He yeah. still got a very nice contract from Philadelphia, okay. but he kind of realized the, the value in that running back market's not there. So mm-hmm. I think Miller will probably be a little bit disappointed, but at the end of the day, the guy isn't even 25 years old yet. No, he hasn't touched his potential yet, and whoever gets him... <laughs> Hopefully they utilize him properly. Another, The only other player of note that I have on the roster is Olivier Vernon. Now, I think that the only reason he's notable, because I don't think he's all that good. In the games that I went to the Ralph and watched him play against the Bills, Olivier Vernon didn't scare anybody. <laughs> he didn't make that big of an impact. I think with Cam Wake going down, he sees a small bump in his initial market value. But overall... I almost feel like they should just let him go. Draft a pass rusher. Draft another guy who can come in and do exactly what that guy gave you for half the price. Completely agree with you. And, you know, we had a guy on Ron Caniff, uh, not this past show, but the show before that. He's got a, a podcast called Unsquish the Fish. Mm-hmm. And Ron is kind of of the same mindset. Like, you know, everyone I talk to doesn't think Olivier Vernon's all that good. And I said, Ron... If you let him walk, being that he's an edge rusher, he's going to get a huge contract. That could turn into potentially maybe a third-round compensatory pick for you guys. Right. right. And he, he said, I don't know what those things are. I have no idea what a compensatory pick is because he wasn't being serious, but he was saying, like, we as the Miami Dolphins, we're always the free agent. We win free agency every year. We're always spending big. We never get compensatory picks as a result. So, um he was yeah. kind of a little skeptical about that, but I agree. How could you give Olivier Vernon $12 million a year, which it Don't seems like it. that's what he wants. Don't do it. You know what? Let him, let him go to some other team who's desperate, who's willing to pay that. I mean, think about it. The Bills did it with Mario Williams, and teams laughed at us, and now here we are about to cut him. 
Yeah. At the end of the but, day, you're going to end up realizing that, yeah, you got some good years out of him, but did you did you go to a Super Bowl? Did you make the playoffs? No? Okay. Well, then. No. Olivier Vernon. Olivier Vernon, I could see if he was, if he was Von Miller. <laughs> if he was DeMarcus Ware. If he was Mario Williams. If he was a guy who had done anything of note throughout his career, he might be worth that kind of money. He's not. I would let him walk and let him get $6 million after the draft when he holds out for too much money. Yeah, and I, I've watched all of this guy's games the past two years, and he's never really jumped off to me no. all that much. I haven't really been all that impressed, but apparently, for some reason, he's really high in the pro football focus rankings um, for whatever reason, but he's not good in run support. I just, I would have to really seriously ask one of those guys, why is he ranked so high? But then it's weird, though. Those guys at PFF, they said that the Dolphins should actually let him walk. So they're saying he's one of their top edge defenders, but at the same time, they should let him walk. doesn't make much sense to me. But I will say this, though, that most people, most fans that watch uh, the Dolphins, they're not sold on Olivier Vernon, and they shouldn't be. He's not that exceptional talent like a Von Miller. Not even close. Not even close. Kyle, it's been awesome having you on, man. I love just talking football with you. Uh, feelings mutual, man. <laughs> this is fantastic. I appreciate you. G- hey, give a small shout out to your show. So you can get the podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, all that good stuff. It's AFC East Bros podcast, Kyle Smith and Gary Smith. You can follow me on Twitter at AFC East Bros. Follow my brother at AFC underscore East Bro Gary. I always kind of tell him, like, it's kind of a weird Twitter handle. So I think he has to change that. But well, I'll bag all over him for it. Just be careful. He's a big dude, man. He's a big dude. <laughs> My brother is like 260 pounds, but he's he don't have much fat on him. Uh, he can kick crap out of me. I'm, I gotta I'm, send you guys out. He's got an MMA fight online when he was doing mixed martial arts. He's got a fight online where he uh, TKO'd the guy. You know. You know what we gotta do is we gotta get. I'm I'm calling it right now. We gotta get the Smith brothers up here for a Buffalo Bills game. I throw a mean tailgate. We get there at about 6 a.m. We start at the grills. We get the tents up. We get every, you know, all the tables up and everything. We get a spread put out. I think the Smith brothers should try to make an attempt to make it up to Buffalo at some point next season. He's been trying to get me to come up for the past couple years now. Um, so I'm up for it. I'm, I'm definitely up for it. I would like to go to it. You guys should come, to, you guys should come up and tailgate with us. I'll tell you, you'll have a great time. Me, Chris, a bunch of my other buddies, we'll all, you know, we'll all hang out, we'll crack some beers, we'll laugh about you know, which one of our teams may or may not make the playoffs cuz ultimately it's going to be we're going to be trying to cut each other's throats all season. I I no longer have a woman telling me what to do with my money, so I'll <laughs> I'll shell out whatever it takes to sit in section 200 in the rock pile. <laughs> You tell him, Chris. Exactly. Chris, you hey. do it for Chris. Hey, I got you want to talk about funny stories? I don't think I told you guys this story before. So, um, we're going to talk about funny stories and going up to Buffalo. So, I'm Muslim. I pray five times a day. Now, I went to go do my daily prayer when mm-hmm. I was at the Bills game last time I went. And this is in 2012. When we had Tim Tebow, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with the way that Muslims pray, but like mm-hmm. you, you go down on your knees and eventually you put mm-hmm. your head on the floor. Mm-hmm. So I went to do this. I was doing this right in the Ralph, 
you know, it, like near the concession stands or whatever. Mm-hmm. Some Bills fans went pointed at me and said, "Hey, he's Tebowing." <laughs> <laughs> I'm not making that up. We don't uh, we don't grow them smart around here. <laughs> I'll say that. No, I, listen, I got the biggest kick out of that, man. I tell that story to wherever I go. So that's awesome. Well, listen, guys. <laughs> It was great having you on tonight. I love just sitting around talking football with you, Kyle. You really have a mind for it. I like the fact that you get it the way I get it, and you see what I see. <laughs> and in some cases, you see things I don't see. <laughs> and vice versa. And vice versa. I like that. It's great having you on. Thanks for coming out of the Rock Pile Report. And, uh, hey, try to make it up to Buffalo for a game this year. Hey, I think it depends on what time of the year it is, but I want to do it. I definitely want to do it. All right, brother. We'll talk to you soon. All right, man? All right, man. Thank you very much. Much thanks to Kyle Smith for stopping by the Rock Pile Report today. And now, the reason we're all really here today. Drew Gears 2016 NFL Combine Primer. Woo! This year's edition of the NFL's annual Dog and Pony Show, the Underwear Olympics, the good old-fashioned NFL Combine. This is the time of year where draft stocks get set. Both scouts and fans alike get to see just a little bit more of how good some of these upcoming rookies look in Speedos. And how athletic, although not necessarily good at football, they all may or may not be. Sometimes sometimes teams take this as an opportunity to gather meaningful information on these players. While others, like the Dolphins, might just ask if your mom is a prostitute. Why don't you go back to your home on Whore Island? Either way, there's going to be a lot to take in, from metrics to weigh-ins, hand-sized comparisons to interviews, and the sheer amount of stats and information thrown around can be enough to make your head spin. But don't worry, because I've put together a small guide for everybody out there, outlining what I personally would watch for, some players that I intend to keep an eye on, and you know some guys that I think might be candidates to be drafted by the Bills. You know, feel, feel free to join me and you know let me know what you guys think as the process plays out. You can always tweet us at you know at the Rockpile Report. It would be at Rockpile Report. But are you, man? Are you going to take off work to watch the combine? Because if you do, I would totally say you have a problem. I may or may not have the brown bottle flu that day. <laughs> Folks, I just had my first sip of Labatt Premier. It's their extra light lager. And I have to say, I don't think I've ever had a more refreshing bottle of water in my entire life. Poland Springs isn't as good as this Labatt Premier. How does it compare to Shandy? Oh, you, you get your you and your Shandy you can go sleep in the, go sleep in the alley outside. Get the hell away from me. We're going to start off at the quarterback position. First, the first draftee up is Kevin Hogan, quarterback out of Stanford. Suck it, you clown. Take that, Chris. 
A story got circulated last week that the Bills like Kevin Hogan, just like I've been saying I liked him for the last three years. I'll be watching this week to see how his accuracy and footwork stack up against these other quarterbacks, because those have been the only significant knocks against him that anybody can find. He's a standout personally. He's you know, He has a mind for the game. He has good athleticism. His footwork is just questionable. If that's correctable, I could see I could see a team taking a chance on him late, and I'd be okay with that. If the Bills take him in the second round, I may or may not drive my car through a Tim Hortons. Okay, Ryan <laughs> Much O'Reilly. Like Ryan O'Reilly. The other quarterback I'm going to be keeping an eye on, because I'll be honest, I don't care about Carson Wentz. I don't care about Jared Goff. I don't care about any of these guys, because they're not going to be in a Bills uniform. They're not. They'll go to the Cowboys or the Browns, and then I'll just have to root for them to fail. So I, I, I'm not going to pay that much attention to it. But one person I'm going to be keeping an eye on is Connor Cook, quarterback out of Michigan State. I don't care too much for the guy as a prospect, but I can imagine that they're going to put him through you know, between scouts, GMs, just all of the media. They're going to put this kid through the ringer this week during his interviews. So I'm going to watch just more out of morbid curiosity than anything else to see if he finally just cracks, gets sick of everyone's crap, just tells them all to go to hell. I don't know. It, it, I I would like to see it. I mean, he at the beginning of the season he was considered to be one of the a high pick in the uh, in the draft for this year, and I wonder if if with the way his his final season at Michigan State went. And how he performs at the combine. Well, he's not going to throw at the combine, right? No, oh, he's going to throw. Oh, he's going to throw at the combine. He's going to throw. He says his shoulders 100%. And with his pro day, I wonder if this might turn into like a, a, a Teddy Bridgewater situation who had a horrible pro day, I believe, mm-hmm. and was supposed to be like the number one pick, and he fell to the last pick of the first round, and Minnesota was in the playoffs this year. And out of those first-round quarterbacks, he might be the best one. Go figure. Then we take a look at the offensive line. Now, again, these are guys that I like for the Buffalo Bills. Guys that I'm interested in either because I watched them play or because I like them for the Bills. The first gap is Taylor Decker, left tackle out of Ohio State. Now, he's a player who I think personally could go anywhere from the back end of the first to the middle of the second round. Most of your draft pundits and talking heads out there have him ranked as the third to fourth best prospect at left tackle this year. But, I mean, think about it. Ohio State's offense is kind of gimmicky. They've got the running court. They always like have the Auburn? You get the hell out of here with Auburn. <laughs> Where you I specifically didn't put the, what is that, Sean Alexander? Their tight, their no, he left, went to Alabama. No, they're left. No, they're, <laughs> they, have a, they have another tackle in the thing, and I'm not going to watch him because I, I remember. There's a stain. You wore that Auburn jersey. It's a stain you can't wash off. <laughs> Due to the gimmicky nature of Ohio State's offense, I just, I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting to see in a standard pro-style offense how Taylor Decker's, you know, his technique and his upper body strength, because that's the thing. He's he's more of a, I feel like he's more of a finesse tackle than he is a power or, you know, speed tackle. He just gets by with finesse. And when you put him in a pro-style offense instead of this, Kind of weird. It's not quite an option offense, but it is. 
you know, it's not it's not the shotgun spread offense, but it's still kind of an option with trick plays and things built into it. So you don't really get a feel for how good that tackle can actually be. And that's what I want to see. I want to see how his metrics line up with all the other tackles. Then there's Jason Spriggs, left tackle out of Indiana. He was touted as one of the best offensive linemen during the Senior Bowl. And he's being talked about as a second to third round pick, depending on his metrics at the Combine. Now, the thing that might hurt him is he comes from a spread offense. Athletes transitioning from, you know, especially tackles transitioning from the NFL, you know, the spread offenses to the NFL typically have a difficult time. I mean, one of the few guys who's been able to pull it off in recent history was Nate Solder. Nate Solder did it, but that's because he went to a team that runs one of the few successful spread offenses in the NFL. I think that if he goes to the right team, he could be a solid contributor. You know, if a team that uses a zone blocking scheme or something along those lines that he's already familiar with, that he's run, I think he could find success at the NFL level. And watching him at the combine, I want to see whether he's fast enough, strong enough to keep up with some of the top tier options that are out there. Another player, Jermaine Effady. He's the left tackle, but I believe he's an NFL right tackle from Texas A&M. Now, I'm an SEC fan. I've watched a lot of Texas A&M football, and the thing I came away with after watching him play is that he's a nasty run blocker. But at the same time, he speed rushers. He can ha- during the Alabama game. He handled some of you know. So we've got defensive linemen who are going in the first round. You know, some some uh, Jonathan Allen. He's another player who he stayed for his senior year instead of deciding to go back for you know, deciding to go back. And declare for the draft, but at the same time, Fetty handled some of them. But then at the same time, you throw in a guy like DJ Petway who just has speed and he couldn't keep up with him. Their program has a pedigree for producing solid tackles. You've got Jokel, Jake Matthews, you know, Luke Jokel, Jake Matthews, Cedric Boy. I think that Fetty could be another tackle like that who can come in. You know, he's not going to be a high pick. I think he's going to be a second to third round prospect, but he could be a guy for a team that's looking for a, a good run blocking tackle to come in and fill a spot in that second to third round point. I wouldn't mind seeing him in a Bills jersey. I don't know any of these people you've been talking about. That's because you don't pay attention to college football. No, I don't. And then I've got an honorable mention: Gerald Hawkins, offensive tackle out of LSU. The guy's not a top-flight athlete. I mean, he's going to go to the combine, and we'll see where he stacks up. But I see him more in that third- to fourth-round range. He comes from a pro-style offense, though. That's the caveat with him. So it'll be interesting to see what scouts make of him. Next on the docket is linebackers. I think Miles Jack being out of the – I mean, he was the one guy that I was super excited to see because – and he's been ruled out. You know, they said that he's he's 100%, but he doesn't quite trust it yet, so he's going to wait for his pro day, which sucks because I would love Miles Jack in the first round if he falls to us. Is there any chance that he does fall to us at 19? It depends on what happens with his knee. He had a really devastating knee injury. But before the knee injury, when he was playing, he was an outstanding athlete. Played all over the field. Covered... Covered slot receivers, played in space, was good against the run, took good angles, had good instincts, and was an aggressive tackler. It was nice. It was nice to see 
out of a guy like that who's only – I mean his size was a question. You know, he's six foot, 200 and I think 240 pounds. But at the same time, him being out just kind of ruins that for me because he, in my opinion, is at the top of the linebacker draft board for the Buffalo Bills. So the first prospect I'm going to be watching is Reggie Raglan, inside linebacker at Alabama. First off, roll damn tie. All right, Reggie Raglan, national champion. He's being pegged as falling somewhere between the 15th and 20th pick, which is right in the Bills' wheelhouse. So it's going to be interesting to see what they want out of that position because Miles Jack is a kind of do-it-all, fluid-in-space linebacker. Reggie Raglan is more of a throwback linebacker. He's nasty. He hits with authority. The guy's a thumper. He comes in and shuts down the run game. He blitzes well. He made his name in Tuscaloosa as a tone-setting inside presence, but he's just average in coverage, and he's got some upside as a pass rusher. I think he this week he has to prove to teams that he has you know the speed and athleticism in both the 40 and the three-cone drill and the strength to shed blocks and rush the passer and not be a liability in space. Now, if he can prove he's athletic enough to recover from maybe taking a bad angle and not giving some tight end the seam, teams might move him up their draft board. Another player who I'm sure you have no idea who I'm talking about, Tyler Medikevich, inside linebacker. Half of these guys. <laughs> Tyler Medikevich, inside linebacker out of Temple. He's a guy I knew absolutely nothing about until they played, you know, until his Temple Owls played and almost beat Notre Dame back in October. The guy was the leader on the defense. And the more I read, the more I found out he, you know, all season was the leader for that team. He led the way to a near upset. Talk about eight tackles and one gigantic 21-yard return interception in a game that against one of the top-ranked teams in the country at the time. Everything I've seen on him, everything I've read, all the you know, all the different highlights and game film I've watched. He plays fast, he plays hard, and he's smart. He's six foot two thirty-three, and he's somewhere in the fourth round because they say he's not an exceptional athlete. You know, they say his straight line speed and his recovery speed struggle, which, you know, some of these drills are gonna put some light on, you know, the forty and the three cone. I think that if he's even in the third and fourth round, if we can't address linebacker at some point during that period, I still think depth at that position. We need we don't just need bodies. This season proved it. We need quality depth, and this guy, you know, in the third fourth round, might be a step in that direction. Then there's Kentrell Brothers. He's an outside linebacker out of Missouri. Brothers led the nation in tackles this past season for the entire NCAA, and he excels in most phases of the game. It's been said that he takes good angles and puts himself in good places to make plays in the run and in coverage, but they don't. They still don't think that they can trust his lack of speed. You know, he's another guy who they're saying he may be too slow to be counted on in all situations at the NFL level, which obviously hurts his draft stock. I think that in the late rounds of the draft, not even late rounds, in the you know second, third, fourth round, if a guy like Kentrell Brothers can prove that he's athletic enough to still compete at an NFL level. If his hips aren't as stiff as everyone thinks they are, he might be a nice addition to the Bills team. 
He's a guy who can give you some pass rush. He can also give you some coverage skills out of the outside linebacker position, which, because of how many times we play a 3-4 look, might come in handy. I still don't know any of these people you've talked about. That's because you... I don't know. I don't even know what you do with your free time. Saturdays, I usually go play pickup hockey. Yeah, except for this last Saturday when he was hanging out at Ying's with some chick named Cat. For those of you who don't know, my friend Chris is now my friend Chris is now trying to date. He's trying to back. He's going back into the foray of dating. Now, Chris, answer me this. All right. When you took her out. Did you open the door for her? She was already at Ying's. Does she generally hang out at Ying's? No. So then why was Ying's the destination? She was with two of her friends. So she hangs out with people who hang out at Ying's? Yes. For anyone who doesn't know what Ying's is, it's a bar on Transit Road in Depuch slash Cheektowaga that I'm pretty sure if you set foot in for more than 45 minutes, you may or may not have hepatitis C. Go do yourself a favor and get checked out. Picture a bar that's dimly lit. It's kind of, it is the epitome of dank. If you looked up dank, there would be a picture of Ying's sign next to it in the dictionary. Part of the floor is like tiled, and then part of the floor is just bare concrete. And the concrete is always wet, but I've never seen anyone spill a drink on it. That is just unsettling to me. But Chris felt it. You know, like that was a good place to go for a first date with possibly a future girlfriend. It was not. I wouldn't call it a first date because we didn't meet on Tinder. The only one I've only actual person I've talked to on Tinder. Chris Kruger, folks, sitting here in his apartment drinking Labatt Premier Extra Light bottled water, <laughs> mixing his Maker's Mark with Coke and meeting chicks on Tinder. Yep. So, let me ask this. When do you guys plan on meeting up next? Tuesday. Tuesday? What are you doing? Drinks. Drinks where? Probably, like, Jack Devine's. Downtown or Hamburg? Hamburg. By the stadium. God. She lives in OP. Duh. Where do you want me to go in OP? Where do you want me to go in OP? I want you to go to hell. (laughs) That's where I want you to go. Where do you want me to? Where do you want me to go to in OP? God, oh! It's the happy hour. Where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to go for happy hour? If cirrhosis of the liver wasn't killing me, it would be you. It would be you talking about you dating this girl. I've only met her once. Yeah, but you sent her five thousand text messages. Literally, no. that's not an exaggeration, folks. The number no. is five thousand seven hundred and sixteen. Something like that. I'll get it. Good Two Lord. seconds. Three, two, 5,956 text messages. <laughs> this, this, this is my podcast partner, folks. Dude, I have not sent that, that amount of text messages to my own wife. I don't think anybody sh- I haven't sent that many text messages since I got my new phone back in March. Get the hell out of here. Moving on. Moving on with the combine discussion. Back to why we're all here. (laughs) Safety. As I said earlier, safety is a glaring need for the Buffalo Bills. And there's a couple prospects that I want to keep an eye on going into this draft process. The first one at the combine is going to be Jeremy Cash. Now, he is a true enigma. 
BuffaloRumblings.com has a perfect write-up about this guy. He's a strong safety who spent almost his entire collegiate career playing more of an in-the-box slash pass rusher role, almost like Brian Scott did for us. And very little tape exists of him playing the deep part of the field on a consistent basis. His combine and pro day workouts are going to help provide some clarity as to where he might be picked. You know, it all depends on what a team might see in him. He could be a second round pick if a team thinks he can play deep and play in the box, but he could fall all the way to the fourth round if somebody thinks, hey, he might be nothing but a Dayon Buchanan who he's a 225 pound linebacker. It's, it's going to be a complete crapshoot where this guy winds up. The next prospect I like is Darian Thompson. He impressed during the Senior Bowl with his physicality, and he had a solid season. I mean, he, 65 tackles and 5 picks. They're projecting him to have a 40 time in the 4.6 range, and they're pegging him as a late second, early third round pick because they say he struggles in zone coverage and he doesn't have adequate recovery speed to play the deep part of the field at the NFL level. I think that if he can convince some scouts this week that his athleticism can make up for that, he's going to move up the draft board. Carl Joseph out of West Virginia, free safety. I don't like him. He's got two first names. <laughs> so the first four games, Joseph had five picks, and he was playing standout football. But then a knee injury just obliterated his final collegiate season. He was good in both man coverage and zone coverage. He attacks both the ball and the ball carrier extremely well. He might have been a first-round pick if not for him blowing up his knee, but right now his values. I mean, it's hard to put a number on. Does he get drafted? Well, he's going to get drafted. I mean, the biggest question is, he's he's one of those guys who the medical part of the combine that everyone seems to overlook, this is where the medical part of the combine matters. The guy's 5'10", 200 pounds. So he's not, a, he's not the biggest of safeties out there. And considering the fact that he just blew up his knee, and he says he's 100%, but, I mean, think about it. Cyrus Quanjo had a knee problem. And everyone said, oh, you know what, though? His knee's good. He's gotten it checked out by specialists. He's going to be fine. Three years into his pro career, he's still suffering effects from that knee, and it's holding back his production. I was going to say that he doesn't have a knee problem as much as he has a career problem. Mm-hmm. Dude can't even get on the field. He's terrible. What I do know is that if Carl Joseph is healthy... Some team might be getting an early round steal and a plug and play free safety. And then Richard Robinson, cornerback out of LSU. Don't know the name? Not surprised because nobody would really know who he is unless you follow the SEC. Or if your name is Drew Gear. He was a former four star high school recruit, but he didn't get to play in 2015. Because he was suspended for, quote-unquote, repeated violation of team rules. He was a standout as a freshman, even though you figure his freshman year he was trying to play behind Patrick Peterson, behind Ron Brooks, behind you know, Tyron Matthew. Speaking of, is this guy a similar situation to Tyron Matthew, who left college because well, of weed and went in the third round? And look at him. He's amazing. And that's, the, that's going to be the question. I mean, he's got all the impressive physical traits, and he's going to put up numbers during the metrics portion of this. But I think it's going to be the interview section of the Combine that's really going to be worth watching on this prospect. 
I mean, the guy's six foot two, 185 pounds, and his 40-yard dash is being estimated between a 4.4 and a 4.5. For a cornerback, that's damn good. I think teams are going to be scared away by his, you know, I mean, right now they're talking about him being nothing more than a fifth or sixth round pick because of all of his baggage. And depending on how his interviews go, he could talk himself right out of the draft altogether if those interviews don't go well. I mean, he's got to prove to these guys that he's over all of his shenanigans and that he's going to commit to trying to be a pro football player. But at the same time, if some team lands him and thinks they can mold him and you know keep hands on him, he could be a steal for somebody late in the draft. Another Richard Sherman. I mean, for us, as the Bills being a team strapped for cap space, having another talented cornerback that you paid almost nothing for couldn't hurt. And then finally... I you know I want to take a look at the defensive line. Now we've talked about Mario Williams leaving. You know we've talked about Kyle Williams being hurt and his huge cap number. Defensive line, I think, especially given this draft's depth, I think that's where the value in this draft really lies is in the offensive line and in the defensive line prospects. First guy I want to talk about is Vernon Butler, defensive tackle out of Louisiana Tech. Now I've talked about him multiple times in this podcast before. This is just going to be another chance for this guy to improve his already skyrocketing draft stock. If his interviews and his speed testing go well, the sky's the limit for this guy. He had a great senior bowl. Everyone loved the fact that he was he played physical. He had he had pass rush moves, and at the same time, he was a great with his anchor against the run. I mean, the fact that you're talking about a guy who used to be thought of as a second or third round pick until people saw that he had a rip move, a spin move, a bull rush. He's been working on his technique. That's important for a guy with as much physical talent as he has. I mean, he's already being compared to Muhammad Wilkerson, and I think while that's a little premature, if he's available in the second round, I don't see a world in which the Bills don't take him. The heir apparent to Kyle Williams. We have to look to replacing that player. Then there's Robert Kimdichie, defensive end out of Old Miss. He's in that weird case of a player who has all of the looks of a stud defensive lineman, but with no stats to really back it up and a whole slew of character concerns. I'm sure that no matter what he does in in the athletic part of the competition, you know, his his bench press is going to be good. His three-cone drill is going to look good. He's going to blow, you know, people are going to be like, oh, he's one of the fastest defensive ends out here in the combine. I don't give a damn about any of that. What I care about is how he addresses teams in regards to the fact that he climbed slash fell, depending on you know whose report you believe, out of a fourth floor hotel window while high on marijuana. What? <laughs> what an idiot. Oh, what a loser. A name you guys might not have heard. Now, I know Vernon Butler and Robert Kandici are household names, but a name you guys might not be familiar with, Hassan Ridgeway. Now, he's he's a favorite of mine. I, I don't know why I like this player. I just do. He's the a legitimate zero-technique nose-tackle prospect. He's six foot four, 314 pounds, but his stock is all over the map. According to NFL.com, one GM told them that he should have gone back to school because his conditioning isn't anywhere near where it needs to be. Now, I saw that firsthand when I watched Texas, you know, the Red River rivalry. You know, Texas and Oklahoma. Don't nod at me, yes. You don't know what I'm talking about. I've totally heard of that. <laughs> I've heard of that. I've heard of the Iron Bowl. And that's about it. <laughs> so, watching that game, 
he often had to be benched because he was just gassed. You could tell the guy was just out of breath. You know, he'd, he'd go two plays and have to come off the field. Well, you can't, if you're a legitimate nose tackle, you can't come off the field on meaningful downs. You know, if it's third and two, your team needs you out there. You can't come off the field for a breather. That's, I think that that fact alone isn't going to sit well with the GM who has to make a sizable investment in this guy. He seems like a very big boomer bust prospect who's going to have to go to a team who can really have the support around him to keep him in shape and keep him disciplined with his efforts. His stock, he could be a third round pick. He could be a fifth round pick. Doesn't It all just depends on who you ask. All I know is in that game, I liked the way he played. And I think that he could be, over time, you could groom him into being an effective starter in the NFL. And lastly, I've got Noah Spence. Now, I've talked about this player before, you know, defensive end out of EKU and formerly Ohio State. He has all the athletic chops to be a playmaker in the NFL. He put them all on display during the Senior Bowl, and he received accolades all week. Everyone talked about him. His name's been all over the place. Some people have gone as far as to project him as a top 15 draft pick. But he's going to have to sit down in a room and explain to a bunch of scouts and GMs how someone who he didn't just get suspended but got banned from an you know, not just a team, but an entire collegiate conference. He's going to have to explain to coaches, scouts, and GMs how he plans on staying clean once he's getting paid and doesn't have somebody watching over his shoulder. Just like Kim Dietschy, his interviews are going to be the most interesting part of his combine. And then the last guy I have to talk about is Kevin Dodd. He's a defensive end slash outside linebacker out of Clemson. He's been mocked to the Bills a number of times so far this offseason. Between Shaq Lawson, who is another favorable name, a defensive end player who gets thrown around, Dodd is the more explosive athlete. But he's a one-year wonder. And a lot of people question whether or not his accomplishments were inflated due to the attention that Shaq Lawson commanded on the other side of the line. Lawson's more of your, he plays with strength, not speed. He doesn't have speed or at least elite top-end speed. But he still commanded double teams, which freed up Kevin Dodd to usually play the worst offensive line or tight-end combination that the other team could put on the field. I want to find out where this guy finishes his three-cone drill in his bench. Because as a pass rusher, especially in our system, you're going to have to be able to show that you have the strength to shed blockers, and you've got fluid hips to turn corners against tackles who are, you know, who are going to be much better suited to handle speed rushes at the NFL level than anything he faced in the NCAA. All right, guys, I'm, I'm sure you're sick of me just yelling random names at you and telling you all the reasons why you should watch this guy. But I'll tell you what, throughout the course of this weekend, I'm going to be tweeting out what I, you know, my thoughts, my feelings, and I encourage you to do the same. Go ahead, get a hold of me if you have anything you want to talk about, anything you want to hear talked about, any you know critiques, any ideas, anything that pops into your head that you want to talk about, especially about Chris hanging out at Yings. If you guys want to make fun of that, feel free to let us know. Tweet us at Rockpile Report, or you can send us an email at RockpileReport seven one six at gmail dot com. We appreciate Kyle Smith for showing up tonight and helping us out wrapping up the AFC East offseason preview. And we appreciate you guys, our listeners. Guys, we got to get out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger. And this has been the Rockpile Report. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.